Today, we take a look at the presumptive Democratic nominee, former vice president, and sentient pair of aviators, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Of course he's a junior. Joe Biden won the Democratic primary after a strong platform of not being Bernie Sanders or a woman. The Democratic Party looked at him, bravely came together, and said, I mean, sure. So what do we know about Joe Biden? Well, we know a lot. We know that he's old. Uh, the year Biden was born, 1942, the world was in crisis. There was a spike in anti-Asian racism, race riots, a demagogue used a xenophobic populist platform to gain power, and the U.S. was shifting further left than at any point in its history. Basically, 2020 is like a made-for-TV remake of 1942. The original had bigger names, stronger performances, but the kind of plot is basically the same. Biden was first elected in 1969. 1969. That was the first year a gay movie, Midnight Cowboy, won at the Oscars. That's true. Years later, Biden cited that film as influencing his early endorsement of same-sex marriage. I completely made that up, but if you believe that, I have some hydroxychloroquine to sell you as well. Now, one thing that gets lost in the conversation about Joe Biden Jr., or JBJ as no one calls him, is his policy proposals. We hear he's vaguely centrist, he seems like sort of a continuation of Obama, but it seems like there's an assumption that because he's been in the public eye for so long, we all more or less know what his policy proposals are. So, I got together with my producer Mimi, who steadfastly refuses to be my co-host, and set out to better understand his actual policies. Today will be the first part of a series on Biden's policy proposals. These will be far from comprehensive, but look, we're two grad students making a 15-minute podcast. If you want to learn more, fucking Google it. Jesus Christ. But first, wait, what? a segment in which my producer Mimi reads to me some of the most and least interesting headlines of the week. College chatbots with names like Iggy and Pounce are here to help. Schools are elevating the use of virtual assistants whose speed and tone can simulate text conversations. Iggy and Pounce definitely sound like two of those white kids whose parents tried to cheat on the SATs to get them in jail. Like, are we sure that... I, I feel like Iggy and Pounds, there's like a 99% chance that behind those two chatbots is actually just Felicity Huffman and Aunt Becky. Sellers of sex toys capitalized on all that time alone. As the pandemic approached its peak, online retailers saw sales spike. You know what? You do you. I do love that in the age of coronavirus, activism takes many forms. And maybe for you, your first foray into activism is not leaving your house and buying a sex toy instead. Doom scrolling. Why we can't just look away. Primal instincts often drive our obsession with stressful news, and social media platforms are designed to keep us hooked. To be fair, doom scrolling is kind of just like my general group chat with my family. Um, like painful things that we can't look away from is the entire business model of Bravo. So I don't think it should be really that surprising that we have an affinity for like dark, painful news. I mean, just like look at Real Housewives. Ken Griffin buys a John Michelle Basquiat for more than $100 million. You know, I do think that that actually was Basquiat's broader mission 
uh, in between fighting against the legacies of imperialism, colonialism, and racism was to produce art for white hedge fund billionaires. So I'm sure he's very happy in his grave right now. We'll see where that goes, says Jeannie Bouchard of Dating in the Age of Coronavirus. It's going nowhere, Jeannie Bouchard. I'm sorry, but you're not going to get a man until you get out of quarantine. See our earlier headline about sex toys. Maybe treat yourself. Now, on to today's topic, Joe Biden's policies. We'll start with the least controversial issue that faces the fewest legislative hurdles, health care. The American healthcare system can be thought of as sort of an avant-garde reimagining of a Jackson Pollock painting. But as you'll all remember, in 2010, Obamacare passed in a beautiful bipartisan manner and healthcare hasn't been an issue since. Now, Biden has a new proposal to further reform the healthcare system. Biden tried to appeal to moderates by saying that under his plan, if you like your current coverage, then for you, quote unquote, nothing would change. This phrase was catnip to leftists on Twitter, which are basically a group of recovering liberal arts majors still riding the high of being told they read above grade level in elementary school. Looking at Biden's plan, he actually is proposing quite a few changes. I will outline three big ones for you today. The introduction of the public option, lowering of prescription drug costs, and the expansion of programs currently in place. First, the central component of Biden's healthcare proposal is the introduction of a public option. Now, what exactly is a public option? The public option is the creation of a government-run health insurance agency that would compete with private insurance companies like Aetna and Cigna. So we would have both public and private sources of healthcare insurance. The public option has been debated for many years, but never actually implemented. That's because if we take any meaningful action to make healthcare more accessible, there is a very real risk America will lose our position as the number one developed country for preventable deaths. Now, for some, the public option is the Goldilocks option. It's not 100% private. It's not 100% public. It's like the Instagram close friends only of health plans. The criteria is arbitrary, and what gets shared there can vary quite a lot. The primary arguments in favor of a public option are the lower cost, the relative ease of implementation, and a middle ground for those who like their private insurance while expanding access for those who do not have that. While candidates like Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris advocated for the elimination of all private insurance, the public option enables those who like their private health care plan to keep it. It's like what Obama promised, except this time it's actually true. The largest criticism of this plan from the left is that it doesn't go far enough, and it might not work. While the Biden campaign estimates the introduction of a public option would lead to coverage for 97% of Americans, benefits available under the public option can vary widely depending on the final bill that is passed. If it has very strong coverage, that would incentivize people to move to it, which would spell the death of private insurance anyway, and private insurance would fight back. If it provides weak coverage, only those without better options, meaning low income, would move to it, and then they might just end up with sort of a down-market version of Medicare. Many see the only true alternative to today's system as a single-payer system, where the government is the only payer for healthcare, hence single-payer. This has also been branded as Medicare for all. 
Now, in a perfect illustration of how aligned the left is on this one, I think the name Medicare for All is pretty effective. Medicare is extremely popular, it's understood, and the name feels intuitive. Now, my producer Mimi said, quote, This is the worst branding idea since New Coke. We argued, she stormed off the Zoom, and we're no longer speaking. But I digress. The largest criticism from the right is that it harms some of the most vulnerable members of our society. Private health insurance companies. The Republicans fight for all people. At least the ones that identify as corporations. While some view the public option as an attractive alternative to private plans, if enough people leave their private plans and join the public option, the core business model of private insurers would be at risk. This is similar to what some progressive advocates have voiced. An ultra-strong public option could precipitate the slow, painful death of private insurance, like they'd been swallowed alive by the Sarlacc monster on planet Tatooine. If you don't get that reference, watch Star Wars Return of the Jedi and then ask your parents why they didn't love you as a child. A second key component of Biden's proposal is that he would repeal the law that prohibits the federal government from negotiating drug prices under Medicare. Yes, I will repeat that, Medicare is prohibited from negotiating prices of drugs with private firms. At present, Medicare Part D, the portion of Medicare that accounts for 80% of prescription drugs, is administered under a series of private plans, each of which negotiates separately. Repealing the prohibition on negotiation would mean the federal government would have major leverage in negotiating drug prices down and could drive down prescription drug costs. AARP estimated that Medicare could have saved over $14 billion in 2016 if it had negotiated drug prices. Now, of course, no seniors saw this analysis because they were too distracted by yet another cover of AARP magazine featuring what is definitely not a recent photo of Michael Douglas. Hashtag elderly bay. Note that the Trump administration has pursued similar policy goals to reduce drug prices in the past few years, but no reform was passed due to, what else, the pharmaceutical lobby. Third, Biden wants to expand coverage by making it easier for low-income and fixed-income families to get health care. He wants to decrease the age for qualifying for Medicare from age 65 to age 60. Research on whether that would reduce net overall health care costs for the entire country is actually hard to exactly quantify if we continue to have a mixed public-slash-private system. But you know what isn't hard to quantify? How many 60- to 64-year-olds there are in the U.S.? It's about 20 million. And guess what, millennials? Old people? They vote. And surprise, surprise, it's an age group that leans Republican. So this could be a pretty effective electoral politics strategy. Another part of his coverage expansion plan is to decrease the income threshold to qualify for what is known as the premium tax credit. This is an existing policy where if you make between 100 and 400% of the federal poverty line, and you get health insurance through the exchange marketplace that was established by the Affordable Care Act, you can get credits to offset your premiums for health insurance. Biden wants to make these credits more generous. He also wants to make it such that anyone who would beat income qualifications for Medicaid but can't get it due to inaction at the state level would automatically be enrolled in the public option. So to summarize, Biden wants to lower the cost of premiums for low-income families, decrease the cost of prescription drugs for all, and create a government-funded insurance entity that competes with private insurers. Now, to some on the right, allowing the government to negotiate drug prices and providing a public option makes them clutch their pearls and start shouting, Venezuela! 
to many on the left, this doesn't go far enough. This is an interesting and significant shift. While Biden is the centrist of the race for the Democrats, his embrace of the public option means he's actually one of the most progressive nominees we have ever had. In 2016, it was only after she narrowly won the primary that Hillary Clinton expressed tepid support for the public option in an effort to court Bernie Sanders supporters. While Biden's proposals may not go far enough for some, it's important to remember that the alternative is the GOP's health care plan, or rather, lack thereof. From what I can tell, the GOP health plan is placing a copy of the Bible, by which I mean Atlas Shrugged, into every hospital in America and then hoping for the best. (laughs) 